Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of Fan Queries, Theories, and Conspiracies, also known as FQTC. If you were at my panel at Fan Expo Canada, first of all, thank you so much for showing up and participating. It was truly amazing. The discussion we had about Gotham and its infrastructure is one that I am sure I will bring up on this podcast at some point. For those of you who were not there but found me anyways, hi, my name is Chelsea. Thank you for finding me, and I hope you enjoy all the fandom discussions to come. FQTC is meant to be a place to delve into all of your and my favorite thoughts and ideas around various fandoms. This can include discussing a theory about a specific fandom or discussing a question that transcends various fandoms. So I may talk about comics or I may talk about how to categorize the various types of the undead. Some may have answers. Others might plague me when I'm trying to sleep. I am always open to hearing from you guys what things you want to hear me talk about. You can send me suggestions via email, chelsea.fqtc at gmail.com, or on X, formerly Twitter, at chelseafqtc. And now, on to today's discussion. I thought long and hard about what I wanted my very first topic to be. And I decided that I wanted to talk about a topic rather than a specific theory. The topic is Muggleborns, or Nomages, in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I chose this topic because I think it is one that I think about a lot, and I think it has a lot of various aspects that don't get discussed enough. I know that I won't be able to get into all of the various specifics and deep dive into everything related to Muggleborns, but I do hope to spark some thought. This discussion is going to be broken down into three distinct but related aspects. The first is the idea that Muggleborns or Nomages are descended from squibs. The second is the idea that this fresh blood, so to speak, allows for a break in the inbreeding of the magical world and the implications of this. The third is the idea that people who are raised in the muggle world come into the wizarding world with eyes wide open, without the limitations that children who are raised in the wizarding world have come to expect. All three of these ideas work together to explain why the half-bloods, especially those raised in the muggle world, and muggle-borns have a different view of magic and the wizarding world, and often perform better than those pure-bloods or half-bloods who were raised in the wizarding world. So, squibs are people who are born of magical parents, but who do not themselves possess the ability to use magic. I specifically use the phrase ability to use magic because I believe that there is a certain level of innate magic that squibs seem to continue to possess. For example, 
Filch is able to work at Hogwarts, meaning he is able to see Hogwarts and is not put off by the anti-muggle repellent charms. It is never truly explained to us, at least not that I can remember, exactly how he is able to do this, although various fan fictions I have read over the years have tried to further explain how this works. There is a difference between muggles and squibs, and that is an important distinction to make, even if I am unable to fully explain the differences. Where does magic come from? This is an answer that I think is far too complex to answer in one podcast episode, but from what we are able to tell, it is genetic. And if this is the case, then the idea that Muggleborns are actually descended from squibs answers the question of where their magic comes from. This idea that there is a magic gene seems to be a fairly simple but realistic answer to this question. I will discuss this a bit further in the discussion about the fresh blood, but I do think that this makes a lot of sense. This idea is further hinted at in the series, when Professor Horace Slughorn asks Hermione if she is related to a wizarding family that includes the last name of Granger. I believe that this is done specifically, because even though Hermione says that she is not, it is indicative that there is a wizarding family named Granger, and the wizarding world doesn't seem to repeat last names. If you are talking about a specific family, you use their last name, and everyone with that last name is related to that family. It doesn't seem to function the way we do here with a common last name of Smith or Moore. The Smith family appears to be the only Smith family, at least as far as we are told. All of this lends credence to the idea that the Muggleborns are in fact descended from Squibs, something that the creator of the world has gone on record to clarify. So with this in mind, let's move on to the second part of the discussion. So if we think about magic as a genetic property, it makes a lot of sense that the inbreeding that the magical world is known for, and for many years was proud of, would cause some problems with the manifestation of that magic. We understand through human history and our understanding of human genetics that inbreeding increases the risk of certain genetic disorders. If we look at not manifesting the ability to use magic, or being a squib, as a genetic disorder, potentially a recessive gene, then it is more likely that the more inbreeding occurs, that someone within that family will be born a squib. When we look at the the societal complexity of the wizarding world, we see that the pureblood families take great pride in their quote-unquote pureblood status, including calling those who've never procreated with a muggle or muggle-born sacred, as seen by the Sacred 28, the families that have remained so-called pure. This pride in pure blood leads itself to more and more families inbreeding and creating the perfect societal situation for the recessive gene of the inability to use magic to rise. Our understanding of the number of squibs in the wizarding world is limited, 
as this was seen as something of a shame in most pure-blood families, and they would never admit to having a squib in their family. Families that take such pride in having pure blood of being all part of the wizarding world would not be able to take the shame of having a family member who cannot use magic. This is, of course, not true for all families, but it does make it harder to get some true stats about this. The second part of this fresh blood is that it might account or might help account for the non-purebloods tending to be more powerful than the purebloods, at least in the generations we see in the original series. Harry Potter, who is a half-blood, is typically seen as an extremely powerful wizard. Hermione Granger, a muggle-born, is seen as the brightest witch of her age. When you compare them to Ron Weasley, their, be- their pure-blood best friend, we see a significant difference in their power level. If you go back a generation, we see Lily Potter, Nay Evans, is also seen as an extremely powerful witch. Again, if we look at the inability to manifest magic as a genetic disorder, it further tracks that the power levels would also be related to this inbreeding phenomenon in the wizarding world. I do believe that there is another aspect to this, and that is what I will be discussing in the third part of this podcast, the social aspect of it. If there is one thing we are taught about the wizarding world in Harry Potter is that there are rules, restrictions on what magic can do. And I love this. I personally hate when a world is built for me, but there seems to be no rhyme or reason to what magic can do. I am more than happy to break down some of my least favorite books that do this in another podcast, if that is something you are interested in. I am never going to complain about a world with very specific rules, so long as they stick to those rules. And for the most part, the wizarding world does. However, I do think that children who were raised in the wizarding world tend to look at the world within the walls of those rules. It is akin to people who grow up in a particular system believing that is the only way it can be. If you grew up in a world where healthcare cost an arm and a leg, and you were completely isolated and didn't interact with or even know about a world where healthcare is free, you would assume healthcare costing a lot of money is just the norm. And that, it is, that is what it is like for the children who grew up in the wizarding world. They didn't know that there was another option. The rules they learned about magic from their family and the world around them is all they have ever known. But muggle-borns and those who are raised in the muggle world don't have those preconceived notions about what magic can do. It allows them to think more creatively and look at the problems in a different way. For example, Severus Snape, someone who is a half-blood who grew up at least in part within the muggle world, created his own spells and made adjustments to potions that had existed for many years. Once again, pointing out Lily Potter, Nay Evans, and Hermione Granger 
as two more people born and raised in the muggle world who saw the wizarding world in a different way and are regarded as some of the brightest witches of their age. This blank page, the ability to look at the wizarding world with fresh eyes, learn what their magic can do from their own magic, rather than from societal rules, allowed these characters to challenge the limitations we learned about magic and allowed them to achieve amazing things that benefited the wizarding world as a whole. So this brings us to the end of episode one of FQTC. I hope you liked it, or at least listened to it. I am sure I will be up most of the night thinking about various things I could have added to this discussion, and I hope it sparked something in all of you. There is a whole lot more to talk about muggles and muggleborns. I think about muggleborn headcanons all the time. I think about Muggleborn's parents. You know, we don't get to see a whole lot of them. And really the only ones we spend a lot of time interacting with are the Dursleys. And they certainly aren't the best example. Um, if you want to hear more about that, or you want to hear about a million and four other things always floating around in my brain. I hope you continue listening to this podcast. And once again, if there is a query, theory, or conspiracy that you would love to hear me talk about, please reach out either through email. Again, that is chelsea.fqtc at gmail.com or on X, formerly Twitter at Chelsea FQTC. Thanks again for listening, and I don't have a particularly quirky sign-off yet, but I hope you'll hear me next time. Bye!